Well, welcome to a Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. It's so glad that you are here along for the ride today. Today, we're going to take the hour and we're going to take, well, this first hour anyway, we're going to take a look at um, a, a fascinating uh, discussion that's happening in the culture right now with regard to the role of men and women in uh, modern society and not necessarily which one is more valuable per se, but rather how one is maybe perhaps valued more than the other. Uh, Nancy Piercy is going to join me in just a moment. We're going to talk about her new book, The Toxic War on Masculinity and the history of uh, how we got to where we are. Uh, in preparation for that, though, a couple of things I wanted to share. Uh, one, one is a This is a study that came out of the Gallup organization. Remember the George Gallup polls from years and years ago? We, we leaned more toward George Barna's research, but Gallup is still a thing. It's still an organization. And it's interesting that uh, th there's a new survey that Gallup has conducted in conjunction with the Walton family, as in Walton Family Foundation Voices. Um, they have a thing called the Voices of Generation Z, and they did a survey with regard to the STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And these are the, the subject matters where we've been told by the left for years that women have been shut out. And because they've been shut out, um, all we need to do is make it more accessible to women, and then women will come flocking into the STEM things. And they'll not only they'll do well, but they'll surp they'll surpass men. That's kind of the feminist mantra. And I don't say that you know there, there's no uh, boo hooing that there's no pity party here. I mean that's just that's part of the feminist mantra. It was never about equality with men. It was about superiority over men. And the the, the danger of having that type of mentality um, is that when you look at the history of masculinity and femininity in modern culture you began to see that there were some issues that needed to be addressed, but sometimes the correction became an overcorrection, and we started trying to fix problems that really didn't exist or try to create problems that really didn't need to be there. And then instead of encouraging men to be you know, the masculine guys God called them to be and women to be the feminine women that God called them to be, we're all screwed up in the culture. So it's interesting that with basically Generation Z, and Generation Z is determined by... Uh, for this purpose, anyone born between 1997 and 2011. Now, I have two children. Lisa and I have six kids combined in our blended family. We have two children who qualify as millennials who are really more Generation Z. So I, I'm going to beg to differ that that 1997 may be a bit generous, but nonetheless... But it's interesting because they did a, these, are, these aren't necessarily based on test scores, this survey. This is all based on feelings and opinions, okay? This is not one of those empirical data of we did 10,000 guys and 10,000 girls in Generation Z to see how well they scored on tests for science and technology and engineering and mathematics. This is literally just a, a question of are you interested in an occupation in this, uh, uh, this realm? You know, do you, do you have any kind of desire uh, to do this? Do you think you'd be any good at it? I mean, th those are fair questions to ask before you get into the actual aptitude is how do you feel about it? According to this survey of 10,000 guys and 10,000 girls, 85% of young men in the Generation Z survey said that they are interested, very interested, or at least somewhat interested in at least one of those sectors, whether it's either science, technology, uh, computers, engineering, that type of thing. The same question was posed to women in that generation, and only 63% of women said that they were. 
Now, it's interesting because this article was written for Gallup by ostensibly a, a Generation Z or millennial young lady. And she ends the article by saying, we need to do more to get women in science. And I thought, well, now, wait a minute. That's your opinion. That We're, we're taking a, a study here. I mean, when you get right down to it, I have a wife who is a computer geek. Uh, Lisa works in the uh, IT world, uh, phone systems, data analysis, that type of stuff. She loves it. Uh, working on a master's in computer science right now, as a matter of fact, and I'm really proud of that fact. But she is in the minority in terms of men versus women in this area. Men are 10 percentage points more likely than women to be interested in a career in mathematics. Uh, when it comes to the physical sciences uh, or life sciences, it's basically a wash. As a matter of fact, women are actually more interested in men, this is Generation Z, in those categories, 33% to 31%. And when you see women going into pediatrics and nursing and all sorts of medicine, it's pretty much neck and neck, and women are going to start outpacing men at some point. But when it comes to computers, for example, when it comes to engineering, the guys are just more interested in it than the women. We'll post this study up at thebottomlineshow.com. But I mentioned the 85 to 63 difference in are you at least somewhat interested in one of the STEM fields? Then when life and physical sciences, women 33, men 31. Mathematics, men 33, women 23. Not bad. But then when you get into engineering, men 52, women 24%. And when it comes to computers and technology, men 62 and women, 34. Now, what's interesting is then it comes down to do why do you want to be involved in a STEM technology or why do you not? When it comes to pay, no one answered that question. They said, we're not going, we're not not going into STEM because it doesn't pay well enough. Only 7% of the ladies and 5% of the guys said that uh, they didn't think that STEM would be good for them because it, uh, it people they wouldn't want someone like me doing this. Eight um, percent of women and fourteen percent of guys said, "Look, the reason I'm not going after a STEM job is because I can't afford it." Um, then there's the whole issue of representation. We hear this a lot. It's nice to see people of color on the screen. It's nice to see Hispanics. It's nice to see mixed couples or, you know, whatever it is. People make a big deal about representation in certain fields. The reason I didn't become a doctor is because I'm this and I didn't see many of those people. According to Generation Z, they don't see it that way. Only 9% of men and 9% of women in this survey said, I, the reason I'm not going into a career in STEM is I don't see many people like me who have STEM careers. And when it comes to, I don't have time to go to school, 11% of women, only 4% of guys. So it's not a question. Here's where it starts to get interesting. When asked the question, do you know enough about a STEM career to go into STEM? Science, technology, engineering, mathematics. 17% of women said, I don't know enough about it. 29% of men said, I don't know enough about it. But then when they were asked the question, do you think you would be good at this? 57% of Generation Z women said, no. I'm not going to pursue a career in STEM because I don't think I'd be any good at it. Only 38% of guys said that. Well, maybe the reason, and let's just 
Maybe it's a feeling, maybe it's a thought, or maybe they've taken science courses and it just didn't work out. My daughter Kaylee, you've heard on the program a couple months ago, Dr. Kaylee Zaponta, PhD in biokinesiology. She was a junior in high school. The first time she ever gave herself permission to think, wow, I could be a scientist. Her older sister was going into education, was a music teacher, younger brother was heading in that track. And she thought, maybe I want to be a counselor, maybe I'd like to be a sports and conditioning coach. Maybe I want to be a teacher too, like a PE teacher in school. She looked into that when she was in college. But it was the first time she really entertained junior, senior year in high school. Hey, maybe I could be a scientist. And fast forward, shortly before her 33rd birthday, got the hood, PhD. And got a nice round of applause from the other grad students who were in the uh, physical therapy department because she was the graduate assistant who taught them one of their toughest classes. I thought that was very sweet. But it's, it's interesting. How many people, okay, so you got these young ladies saying, I don't think I'd be good at it either because they haven't tried it or they tried it and then they weren't very good at it. But here's the bottom line of this study. The author of the study then said, well, we need to do more to get women involved in STEM. But when asked the question, do you enjoy STEM? Would you want a career in science or technology or engineering or mathematics? 58% of the young men surveyed said no. I'm not going to go into this because I don't like it. That would be yours truly, by the way. Kind of interesting to have a scientist daughter. When I, I got a D in chemistry in college. I'm not the science guy. 61% um, of the women said I don't enjoy it either. And this is a problem that progressives have that I don't know how they're ever going to get past. And that is, you can't make somebody want something. You can't say, well, we, don't, we need more women in science and we need more women in computer science if the young women are saying, but we don't want to go. I mean, isn't the whole point of liberty that you have the ability to say, I would like to pursue that, that's something that interests me, or I don't want to pursue it because it doesn't interest me. This is something atheists and agnostics seem to have a hard time with in this culture. You have the liberty as a religious agnostic or atheist to not have any religious expression whatsoever. You do not have the liberty to tell people who do have a deeply and sincerely held Christian faith, for example, or Jewish faith or Muslim faith, you don't have the, the liberty to tell them they're wrong and they can't practice their religion. But leftism, which claims to be so welcoming and tolerant and accepting, really isn't. They're accepting of everybody who agrees what they want them to agree with. And so they'll look at the worst examples, for example, of uh, uh, masculinity. And they'll see some horrible examples of some NFL guy beating up his girlfriend. Oh, masculinity is toxic. And pretty soon, instead of that guy is toxic and he doesn't act like a real man, it's masculinity is toxic and we need to eliminate it. That wrong thinking has been permeating our culture, not just for a few years, but actually for over a century. Nancy Piercy has written about it in a brand new book called Toxic Masculinity, The Toxic War on Masculinity. And we're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. Have you noticed in the culture that there seems to be kind of an open season on men? not in terms of saying we are desiring to have these guys as part of our lives, but rather to say there's kind of an open war on men, like masculinity is somehow a problem. Uh, there was a headline in the Washington Post recently that asked the question, why can't we hate men? Um, are men necessary? It's, it's a really fascinating phenomenon that's happened. So who better than one of the most preeminent 
women in the Protestant world to have a conversation about a brand new book that she has written looking at the toxic war on masculinity. Nancy Piercy is a best-selling author and speaker. And what I mentioned that uh, that title, The Economist called her America's preeminent evangelical Protestant female intellectual. You've read her stuff in the Washington Post, Washington Times. She's the author of many books. And this new one, The Toxic War on Masculinity, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Nancy Piercy, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you too. Those who are watching on now.com of course this is the uh, this is the way that's listen with their eyes at myhopenow.com we've got video as well as audio going today um what happened was there one point in the culture where all of a sudden men became an anathema i understand there is such a thing as toxic masculinity there's toxic femininity too but when did just the sweeping stroke statement that men are bad and need to be eliminated when did that kind of become part of the uh, the moral psyche of the united states yeah, you know, that's a good question because most people assume it comes out of the 1960s, second wave feminism, and actually goes much further back. And if we want to have an um, an effective response, we have to know where it came from. So you have to go all the way back to the Industrial Revolution. Before then, men worked with their wives and children all day on the family farm, the family industry, the family business. And so the cultural expectation on men focused much more on their caretaking role. In fact, interesting historical fact, most books on parenting back then were written to fathers. Today, if you go into a typical bookstore, right, they're all to mothers. Absolutely. But fathers were considered the primary parent. And they did, in fact, spend as much time with their children as mothers did, which is hard for us to imagine these days. Uh, even secular historians, I love it when uh, secular people will acknowledge, you know, the the Christian roots of so much of American culture. They said uh, the definition of masculine virtue was duty to God and man. Hmm. Love it. So, yeah. so the question is, how did we lose that? Right. And the answer, the answer is the Industrial Revolution took fathers out of the home. Right. It took work out of the home and men had to follow their work into the factories and offices. And that's actually when you see the literature start to change because men were no longer working with people they loved and had a moral bond with, you know, their families, but they were working as individuals in competition with other men. And mm -hmm. that's when you see you people began to protest that men were losing their care, caretaking ethos of the colonial era, that they were becoming egocentric, uh, self-interested, greedy and acquisitive. This is the language of the day. Interesting. And e even turning their work into an idol. It was interesting to see in the 19th century, the, that word was used quite a bit. Men are making financial success into an idol now. Instead of working for their family, they were working for individual advancement and success and, and achievement. So if you want to know where the literature began to be negative, that's when it started. And of course, that does suggest what the solution is too, right? We right. need to reconnect fathers to their family again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the beautiful thing about the book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, the subtitle, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes, talks about a practical solution because Nancy, as you were just describing this, Nancy Piercy's with me today here on The Bottom Line. When you were just describing this, I thought, well, you know, 
I can hear, I can see the point of saying if the industrial revolution took men away from their homes and gave them something else to shoot for, you know, I mean, I've always thought the reason you went to the workforce was because you were doing this for your wife and kids. You were doing this to support the family at home. And I think most Christian men would agree with that. But if that was a potential wrinkle in the problem, that seems like a golden opportunity for the church to, to step up and say, look, the advancement of the industrial revolution is good, but it also enhances things in the family world. How did we in the church kind of let it run off the rails? It seems like we kind of took our hands off the off the reins, so to speak, and let the team take the carriage wherever it was going to go. Yeah, that's true. Now, I would say that, you know, the, the fun thing about studying history is I found out that a lot of Christians did protest at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, they did say, um, you know, we're so used to men being out of the home all day. They weren't. They were shocked. Yeah. And you see a lot of this language at the time saying, you know, men are, men are getting disconnected from their families. You see literature saying, you know, fathers are supposed to be the symbol of the heavenly father, right? The prototype of the heavenly father in the home. And yet he's gone from weekend to weekend because that was so new to them. That was a shock. And many of the laws that we consider um, oriented by religion, like the blue laws, you know, closing on Sundays, we think that was for religious purposes. Actually, most of the people promoting it were promoting it so that fathers could stay home on I the weekends uh -huh. and at least have time with their families. Same thing with a, a shorter workday. You know, uh, first when they first uh, shortened the workday to 10 hours and then to eight hours, it was being driven by family arguments. We need men to be home more. Mm -hmm. So it's it, if you read the literature, we did try. <laughs> a lot yeah. of people, a lot of Christians did try at the time, and that's good. We should go back and maybe look at some of those strategies again. Amen. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. But then what happens in the secular culture is it gets completely off the rails. And now, as a lot of people you know, would, would attest, you see the feminist argument, you see the progressive argument that says patriarchy is bad. And it's like, wait, okay, we've gone from, hey, we miss dad and we want dad to be back in the home more to patriarchy is bad. I realized that was a huge kind of quantum leap, if you will, societally. But Nancy Piercy, how do we, I mean, you address this in the book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, but help our listeners and our viewers understand how we it went from here to here. I'm doing the hand motion here for my own viewers from a kind of a narrow little rift to a huge chasm that now has a lot of young guys going, I don't want to get married. I don't want to have a family because I feel like I'm the enemy. Yeah, exactly. Well, we have to recognize that while this was happening, the Industrial Revolution, society was also secularizing. And it's the secular definition of masculinity that became a problem because as when when work was in the home, there was no public private divide. Right? right, work was done. Economic productive work was done in the home. After the industrial revolution, there arose a huge sharp uh, dis a gap, a huge gap between public and private, mm. and people began to argue that the large institutions in the public realm, like factories and industry and banks and universities and the state, should operate by scientific principles by which they actually meant value free in other words don't bring your personal private values into the public realm mm, which is mm -hmm. what we hear today and since it was men who were getting that public university education but it was very secular and working in that secular environment they did become secular sooner than women did and so of course their behavior grew worse you know if you're not governing your behavior by biblical principles there was a huge increase in the 19th century in drinking, 
gambling, fighting, crime, prostitution, the number of brothels mushroomed. Sometimes a single fact can crystallize it. So in 1830, Americans drank three times as much as they do today. Really? So public alcoholism was a huge issue. You know, people wow. falling down drunk in the streets. Yeah, literally. So there, there was a reason there was a temperance movement. <laughs> I'll um, bet. But, but at any rate, yeah, so a lot of people uh, will acknowledge that male behavior actually did grow worse. And that is the reason they were not just the temperance movement, but there was a huge rise in reform movements in the 19th century as well. Um, historians call it the the rise of the benevolent empire. That's the mm. term they use, meaning there were so many in, integrated reform movements uh, for against against um, not just the temp, not just the temperance movement, the abolition movement, uh, anti slavery movement, movements to outlaw sex trafficking and for mm -hmm. prostitution, and so on. And so male behavior again. It was becoming an issue because it was being secularized. Hmm. And men who are not governing their behavior by biblical ethics are not going to behave as well. This, <laughs> is, this, is, this is why we have to focus not just on the biblical view, but what, what are our young people absorbing in terms of secular views? Let me just give you one quick example. Yes. I got an email from a former graduate student who now teaches high school. And she said, all my male students are into Andrew Tate. Now, if you don't know who Andrew Tate is, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's become a, a very, very powerful online influencer. But he says openly that he's a pimp and that he produces uh, pornography. Mm. And I heard him say this in, a, in an interview. So he's known for fast cars, fast money, fast women. Mm -hmm. So I asked my graduate student, so where are you teaching that all your all your male students, you know, are fans of Andrew Tate at classical Christian school. Wow! So that surprised oh me. Oh my boy, that that is something, and that's a, that's a very very sobering point on which we're going to ponder during the break. Nancy Piercy is with me today here on the Bottom Line. We're talking about her brand new book called "The Toxic War on Masculinity," and uh, the, of course, the the good news about this is that uh, there is a role for us in the body of Christ that we play with regard to biblical values, the biblical worldview, how Christianity can reconcile the sexes. We're going to talk about some muscular Christianity on the other side of this break. The book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. It is definitely a must-read for our audience. We'll take a quick break and more of my conversation with Nancy Piercy in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Isn't this a dandy conversation we're having? I'm enjoying this a lot, and I hope you are too. Nancy Piercy is with me today here on the Bottom Line Show. Nancy is a professor and scholar in residence at Houston Christian University. She's written more books than I can remember. Nancy wrote, co-authored a book with Chuck Colson called How Now Shall We Live? That was just a great treatise on the biblical worldview. Her latest book has empirical study data on how America turned its back on men at the start of the Industrial Revolution. And now the culture has gone from being angry with men from leave, for leaving the farm and kind of abandoning their families during the week and trying to pile it up on the weekends to now just saying, hey, masculinity is an anathema in the secular culture. And the church basically has an antidote for that type of toxic thinking. The book is called The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. We have a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And we do have a copy of the book we're giving away today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. You know, I love the fact that Nancy addresses the big 800-pound gorilla in the room with regard to this whole issue of whether or not masculinity is toxic. It says, look, exhibit A of toxic behavior to many people in the culture is evangelical Christian men. And I will add further, white evangelical Christian men. But what happens if you do the empirical studies and find out that that's not true? And not just because a white evangelical man tells you it's not, but rather, I'm not evangelical and I'm Hispanic. I don't know where the white thing falls in, but I'll tell you, I mean, this toxic war on masculinity is, it's frustrating, it's wrong, it's misguided. I think the heart is in the right place for wanting to right some of the wrongs, but this broad stroke is misguided. But the good news is there is a biblical solution to it. And Nancy Piercy addresses not only what the problems really are, but what the solutions can be in the church. The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes is the name of the book. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Nancy Piercy in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated. And Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Nancy Piercy is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, best-selling author and speaker, currently is a professor and scholar in residence at Houston Christian University, formerly Houston Baptist University, and I, 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 for one, was applauding the change, though I realize it means new letterhead, new logo, and all that type of stuff. Her brand new book is called The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes, and we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Nancy's done some fascinating research 
on the history of masculinity in our country and in culture, especially on the Western side. And as we see what's happened here in the U.S. over the past couple of hundred years to men, it's easy for us to sit back and say, well, guys are always, you know, they're the dimwit dad on television. You know, we, but that that's boy, that's that's the problem. And we've got to do something about it. But you mentioned something before the break, and we were having a conversation during the break about one of your former students teaching at a classical Christian school, and the boys all gravitating toward this Andrew Tate-type character, who is, you used the term that I want you to identify, because the good news is Christian guys on the whole aren't necessarily falling for this, but a lot of people are being influenced. The, the manosphere, I think you the term you used? Yeah, the manosphere is a term that people use for these online groups. Many of them are very misogynist. Um, the incels, for example, the one who have gotten the most attention, because that means involuntary celibates, men mm. who can't get women, in other words. Mm. And some of them have actually committed mass murder, and they left mm. behind manifestos saying it's because women wouldn't have sex with me. Wow. And, and so I had to go kill some. So that's how they've gotten in the news. Mm. Uh, some of them are quite, qu quite negative. And yes, even Christian men are sort of being drawn to the manosphere um, because uh, some of them communicate messages like, well, you need to be strong. You need to get out and get a job. And that kind of language appeals to young men. But, but the, the good news is um, that while I was doing the research for this book, I ran sort of by accident, ran across sociological studies done of Christian men. Hmm. And as a group, Christian men are doing extremely well. well that's good to Typically, hear. they are considered exhibit A of toxic masculinity. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you, know, you know, any notion of male headship in the home mm -hmm. supposedly turns them into overbearing patriarchs. I'll give you right. just one quote. They were easy to find. Yeah. But... Um, the um, the co-founder of the Church Two movement, which followed the Me Too movement, mm -hmm. said the theology of male headship feeds the rape culture that we see permeating American Christianity oh my today. Heavens. Uh huh. Wow. And so the social scientists were looking at this and saying, "But where's your evidence? Yeah. You're making these charges, but where's your data?" Mm -hmm. And so they went out and did the studies, and I quote about a dozen studies that all showed that, in fact, evangelical men who are um, committed to their faith, who are authentic Christians, test out at the top in mm. terms of being loving husbands and fathers. Oh, their wives, isn't it great? So, and their wives, by the way, their wives are interviewed separately, because, which is important, and their wives report the highest level of happiness. Mm. Evangelical men spend more time with their children than any other group. Uh, 3.5 hours more per week than secular men. That's a lot. Even it's, it's that sizable. And evangelical couples divorce at a lower rate, 35% lower than secular couples. Interesting. And then the real surprise is they actually have the lowest rate of domestic abuse and violence of any group oh. in America. Mm -hmm. Sometimes a, a quote will kind of pull it together. So let me give you a, a fun quote on this. Okay. The, the sociologist who did the largest study was um, Brad Wilcox, who teaches at the University of Virginia. And to give you a sense of his stature, he gets published in places like the New York Times. Oh, well, so, of course. <laughs> which is <laughs> un unusual for conservative Christian. Yeah. He's, Catholic, he's Catholic, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he, so this is a quote from a New York Times article that he wrote. He said, um, it turns out, direct quote, it turns out that the happiest of all wives in America are religious conservatives. 
of course, they're focusing on the wives because the assumption is that these marriages are oppressive to the wives. Right. But no, it turns out that the happiest of all wives in America are religious conservatives. Interesting. Fully 73% of women who hold conservative gender values and attend church regularly with their husbands have high quality marriages. Wow. Wow. And then he turns to his colleagues in sociology. Uh, it's a very secularized field. He turns to his secular colleagues and says, again, direct quote, academics need to cast aside their prejudices against religious conservatives and, and against evangelicals in particular. Interesting. Evangelical Protestant men, with married men with children, are consistently the most loving and engaged husbands and fathers. Hmm. So this is not a pep talk from some religious leader. Right. This is solid empirical research. This is These are evidence-based findings that we should be confident about bringing both into the public square to question the negative uh, secular narrative, but I think also into our churches to encourage Christian mm, men that, yes. you know, the numbers show that they're actually doing quite well. Yeah. And that's so good to hear. Nancy Piercy is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Her brand new book is called The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Nancy, got a couple minutes left in our conversation. And I know there are some people who are saying, wow, I didn't know about the, you know, the history. Hey, that empirical data is very interesting. Okay. Well, we're a faith-based family. We, we love the Lord and we're regular churchgoers. We want to you know, help others see that not because we said so, neener, neener, you know, that we're, we've got it all together because we're Christians, but rather, how can we start living this out in a culture that has become so horribly one-sided to its detriment? I mean, obviously, we should stand up against any kind of toxic behavior where people's lives are at risk. But at the same time, when now that gets the, the whole broad stroke of masculinity gets thrown into that one category... What are some ways that we in the church, I mean, the subtitle, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes, what can we be doing to convince a secular society that these biblical values are so good? I, I think the thing um, is to really define what a biblical view is. Mm. Let me let me uh, add a little addendum to the sociological data. One reason Christians have a negative stereotype, you know, negative reputation, is that nominal Christian men actually do very poorly. In other words, men who are not committed, mm -hmm. um, who on a survey like this might check the Baptist box, for example, but who actually attend church rarely, at, if at all, right. uh, test out worse than secular men. And, and this is a real shock. <laughs> right. In other words, their wives report the lowest level of happiness. They spend the least amount of time with their children. They divorce at a higher rate than secular couples, 20% higher than secular couples. And... They have the highest rate of domestic abuse and violence of mm. any group in America. Mm. So this is what we're up against, that that you know, the secular perception is being governed a lot by these nominal Christian men. So what the church needs to do is, on the one hand, I think we need to be more positive and more supportive of men who are doing a good job. Yeah. One of my graduate students works for a large Baptist church here in Houston, and she said, um, on Mother's Day, we hand out roses and tell women they're wonderful. On Father's Day, we scold the men and tell them to do better. <laughs> and so, and so I'm, I'm like, okay, that has to stop. You know, bring this yeah. data, bring this empirical data into yes. the churches and help them to realize that if you, in fact, live out God's pattern for masculinity, these are the men who are doing very well. The families, you know, are appreciative. The wives and children benefit. 
but the church also, I think, needs to have a discipleship program for these men who are at the fringes. Yes. And who, in a sense, are ruining our reputation mm-hmm. um, because they're actually functioning worse than secular men. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people say, well, why would they be worse? Well, the average secular man who might be hitting his wife and kids doesn't feel any religious justification. But the nominal Christian uses religious language mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. feels religious just- justification. I'm the head of the home. She wasn't submitting. I need to put her in her place mm-hmm. and ends up actually testing out as worse than secular men. So that's a huge job for the church. How do we disciple these men who are using Christian language, but if you infusing that language with secular meanings yes, so that they will have a more biblical view of, you know, healthy, positive, um, godly masculinity. I love it. I love it. Well, this book is far more comprehensive than what we were able to cover in 20 minutes. That's why I recommend that you get a copy and read it. Uh, Nancy Pierce has done some fantastic research, has data that will uh, support the fact that we, what we all know is true. We know in our hearts, you know, God's natural law is written in our hearts and we know what is right and what is true. But when you see what biblical masculinity looks like, and then you see this toxic war on masculinity and you realize the different components that Nancy's described, you will be blessed by what you read in this brand new book. It's called The Toxic Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes by Nancy Piercy. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Nancy, thank you for the research. Thank you for giving us such a concise, uh, I, I dare I say pithy, those couple hundred pages. But I mean, you've given us a lot, a lot of information in a fairly easy to digest format. So thank you for doing that. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really great to see you again. Thanks so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. This is a powerful conversation, and it's a really vital book, too. The Toxic War on Masculinity by Nancy Piercy, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy of the book that we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. It's so interesting to see how we as a culture have kind of been duped into thinking that it's a, you know, good guy versus bad guy, us versus them, men versus women, you know, it's society. And that masculinity is the problem. When you look at what Nancy Piercy talks about, she said there was a war on masculinity going back to the Industrial Revolution. But that Industrial Revolutionary War was not a war on masculinity, it was a war for masculinity in terms of saying, What is the role of the man now that he's no longer on the farm? Well, he's needed at home. We need those weekends so dad can at least be home a couple of days a week to be there and raise the kids. And, you know, temperance was an issue and all sorts of things. Nancy's book is fascinating. And she used the word empirical data and the research. Uh, I love the fact that she didn't just go with New York Times op-eds and like that Gallup poll I mentioned earlier about Generation Z, talking about what they like and don't like about the STEM sciences and the issues and then comes back with and oh by the way that's why we need more women in stem it's like well look if the women don't want to be in science and technology and engineering and mathematics you can't force them to go but we shouldn't be at war with masculinity knowing how badly our culture needs it get a copy of this book we have one that we're giving away today the toxic war on masculinity by nancy piercy 800-227-5278 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line.
My thanks again to Nancy Piercy for joining me today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, The book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes, is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We do have a copy of this book we're giving away. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Before the break, uh, in the last segment, Nancy mentioned something I want to circle back around to before we move on with this new study about life expectancy and things of that nature. She said, uh, we often hear that exhibit A of toxic behavior is evangelical Christian men, and I added evangelical white Christian men. But the social sciences tell a very different story. And I love the fact that Nancy did empirical research and looked at the data with regard to attitudes of Americans, the, the Industrial Revolution, you know, the Industrial Revolution took place or started right around the time that Andrew Jackson was in office and America started moving away from uh, God is our provider and our source to every person is pretty good individually. I mean, there was a huge change in voting laws uh, when the Declaration of Independence was, pers- was proposed and then the Constitution was signed, only 6% of Americans could vote. By the time Andrew Jackson, our seventh president, uh, had finished up in office, every man in America could vote, not every woman. And we went from 1833 or whatever that was to 1919 in the suffrage movement because uh, women didn't have that right to vote. But it's interesting because what Nancy Piercy found was that this whole war on masculinity didn't just start with feminism in the 1960s and women burning their bras and saying, we want to break the glass ceiling. It really started when the Industrial Revolution happened in our agrarian society, where dad was at home farming or blacksmithing or raising horses or you know doing whatever, moved into where the work was. And so now dad, who used to be at home driving everything and he and mom were a team, now dad was at work five days a week. And and sometimes it was six, and sometimes it was 10, 12, 14 hours a day. It wasn't until labor laws started to happen in the early 20th century that you saw the family kind of return to normal. But as Nancy mentioned, the whole push for weekends off and things like that didn't have so much to do with labor itself, but rather families saying, we need dad at home. And it's the church that can speak into this whole idea of, you know, how do we turn things around? One of the studies that Nancy looked at was asking which families have the highest level of happiness, if you will. And time and time again, family men, guys who are married to their first wife, you know, I realize for people who are married to their second, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a good situation too, if it's a good situation for you. But men who are married and are raising kids who attend church regularly test out as the most loving husbands and the most engaged fathers, and they have the lowest rate of divorce. But to the culture that says, but men, toxic masculinity, guy gets all drunk and gets all obnoxious and you know, this, that, and the other thing. And this, again, cognitive dissonance. Of course, we know that's true. There are, there's police brutality. I mean, there, that's true. But not every cop is you know, racist. There is domestic violence, but not every man is toxic. But there are toxic guys. I mean, we have to, this is what the left and leftism doesn't like that. They want to put everybody into a box. You're a man, there's toxic masculinity, therefore you're toxic. And that's not, that's not right. But did you know that in these surveys that keep coming back time and time again, where they're looking at toxic behavior, they're looking at survival of marriages, looking at domestic abuse, et cetera, et cetera. It's the church going guy 
who is married and has kids and goes to church on a regular basis, who is the most loving husband, he's the most engaged father, has the lowest divorce rate, and has the lowest rate of domestic violence of any group in America, male or female. So why would the culture want to vilify Christian men? I mean, it, when you get right down to it, the Christian man is actually one of the best things to happen to society. Ladies, if you are married to a strong, God-fearing man, give that man a hug. <laughs> Make him extra special. Make his favorite dessert tonight and say thank you. Not just for me and for our house, but for what you're doing to society. It's the good men who are bringing some kind of level of civility and joy and rigorous testing has proven time and time again that the anti-male stereotype is what's really harming the culture, not the so-called toxic Christian man. Read Nancy Piercy's book and you'll get more of these uh, great, uh, she's kind of a, a nerd when it comes to numbers and I love that about her. Uh, the Toxic War on Masculinity by Nancy Piercy, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. One copy of the book we're giving away today, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, on the other side of this break, I want to take a new, look at a new study by the Journal of American Medicine that was looking at the gender gap when it comes to life expectancy and the life expectancy that changed rather dramatically during the pandemic. So a lot of research into the decline of life expectancy in recent years, and yet, for some reason, the experts say, no one really ever took the time to bother to analyze why it's so different for men than it is for women. You don't suppose it's that toxic masculinity nonsense where they're going, well, guys die younger, good. That's good for society. It's not. And we'll take a look at two storylines here. The first one is the gap between men and women and the average life expectancy, which is widening. And secondly, what's happening with the overall life expectancy here in the U.S.? We'll look at that coming up next as the bottom line continues. December is the month we celebrate the birth of Christ. And when we think about the birth of Christ, it was technically an unplanned pregnancy, at least as far as Mary and Joseph were concerned. The angel Gabriel had other ideas, of course. And we know that the birth of Christ ushers in God's plan for salvation for you and for me. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas time. Why not during this Christmas season, give a gift in support of a ministry that celebrates the gift of life and the gift of eternal life as well. Preborn is the ministry that offers you the opportunity to have a free ultrasound performed on a pregnant mom. And all she has to do is come in, get that pregnancy test and have the ultrasound done and then find out what her options are, how far along she is. 85% of the time, a woman comes to a preborn clinic. She keeps her child or releases that child for adoption. The abortion clinics don't want you to know about the adoption option. And right now, your $28 donation to preborn is doubled thanks to a special matching grant that's in place now through the end of the month. Call 833-850-BABY to make your best donation completely tax deductible and 100% of the money donated to Preborn today goes to the ultrasounds. 833-850-2229, that spells B-A-B-Y, or give a gift online when you go to cambrightradio.com, click on the Preborn banner and make your best tax deductible donation. Do it today. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Super Tuesday edition of the program. And of course, one of the big mantras of the left, which means the Democrat Party in this case, is women need health care, which means abortion, and men want to take away their rights, and men are all bad and women are all good. Except for the men who 
we like. But other than that, all bad. Um, <laughs> Nancy Piercy's book is up at thebottomlineshow.com, The Toxic War on Masculinity, How Christianity Reconciles the Sexes. You need a copy of it. We're giving one away. Still taking your calls till the top of the hour. 800-227-5278, the number to call. Journal of American Medicine published a study last week. And it took a look at the gender gap in life expectancy and looked at the average life expectancy of Americans and what's been happening over the past three years. Now, understanding, of course, that the numbers here, the data, end with fiscal year ending in 2021. In 2021, of course, we were still in the middle of the pandemic. So that's going to be taken into consideration. Okay, here we go. The average life expectancy of men and women has been changing rather dramatically. The average life expectancy gap between men and women has risen to 5.8 nearly six years. That gap marks the largest difference in 30 years or so since 1996. The smallest, by the way, if you're comparing, is 4.8 years. That happened in 2010. But here is the most surprising thing. Now, to me, there are two pieces of surprise in this article. Surprise number one is from um, the University of California, San Francisco, and the Harvard University T.H. Chan School of Public Health looked at the uh, the data from the National Center for Health Statistics, and they looked at which causes of death were having the greatest impact on life expectancy. And what they found were unintentional injuries, accidents, and suicide linked to economic hardship, depression, and stress uh, basically were impacting the death rates. And not surprisingly, those combined factors disproportionately affect men more than women. But Dr. Brandon Yan of the University of California, San Francisco, made one of the most interesting claims. You know, there's been a lot of research into the decline in life expectancy in recent years, but no one has really systematically analyzed why the gap between men and women has been widening since 2010. (laughs) What? This is what you do. This is a guy who is a researcher at the University of California, San Francisco, which, by the way, is the only school in the nation, I understand, that offers abortion science. You can get a degree and become, you get a, an undergraduate degree or a medical degree in being an abortionist at UC San Francisco. But they're looking at this and they're all scratching their heads saying, hmm, isn't that odd? Since 2010, the death gap, if you will, the average life expectancy gap between men and women has been widening for the past 13 years and nobody knows. Dr. Yan said, while rates of death from drug overdose and homicide have climbed for both men and women, it is now apparent that men constitute an increasingly disproportionate share of these deaths. Thank you, Dr. Obvious. We never would have known that without actually looking at the data. It's amazing what happens, especially when leftists look at real data. I was following a thread a week ago, looking at something that came from the Focus on the Family website, and I went to their Wikipedia site, and the people who wrote the Wikipedia page hate Focus on the Family. And so they had all sorts of stuff about their anti this and anti that. And they were talking about the pro-life community and how ultrasounds, they said, focus on the family falsely claims that ultrasounds have an impact on whether or not a woman will keep the child or release the child for abortion, adoption or abort the child. Well, 
we've got study after study after study after study that proves that. But they had one citation from an article that just made that claim with nothing to back it up. I thought, why is the left allergic to actual statistics? Here's another actual t- statistic. We were getting all excited. The average life expectancy for Americans was getting higher and higher. Women, it's over 80 years. Men, it's 74 years. In 2019, the average life expectancy in the United States was 78.8 years. In 2020, that dropped to 77 years. And in 2021, it dropped to 76.1. Now, bear in mind, there are 335 million people in this country. It would take a huge shift in population decline for the average life expectancy to go down that much, averaging almost a three-year drop in a two-year period. What's interesting is if you look at the National Center for Health Statistics and why this all happened, opioid overdoses are on the rise, alcohol-related deaths on the rise, And then there's the pandemic. And it's interesting because they don't just say people who died with COVID or people who died from COVID. They said the whole pandemic led to a greater risk of death. Fear, stress, anxiety. And the list goes on. People getting the vaccine when they shouldn't have gotten the vaccine. It's amazing. But all of this stems from the left just being mad at men because they're being taught to be mad at men. Someone goes to school, takes a gender studies class, gets a master's degree in it, gets a PhD, and what do they do next? They teach that course, because there's no other job they could get. And basically it tells you that men are toxic. I'm so grateful for Nancy Piercy for writing this book, The Toxic War on Masculinity, because she explains how this really came about. It goes back to the 1830s and what the biblical solution is that we can actually start putting into practice right now. You've got a link for that book, by the way, up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Last call for the giveaway copy we have, 800-227-5278. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider with Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, Todd Nettleton with Voice of the Martyrs joins me to talk about a place where martyrdom is on the rise, but God is moving. That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. A special guest is joining me today here on The Bottom Line Show. If you've heard about some of the attacks that are happening here in the United States with regard to our faith in Christ, I, I don't, I don't want to under you know downplay them, but they really pale in comparison to the, what's happening with Christians who are being persecuted all around the world. And Todd Nettleton is with me today here. He's the host of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, which is heard every Sunday morning at 8.30 right here on our flagship affiliate for The Bottom Line Show, KBRT. And it's great to get an, an update, especially since Todd has been doing some international travel and has a lot to share with us. Todd Nettleton, welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Well, I just got back from a trip to a routine visit to my cardiologist, but you just got back from North Africa, and I think yours was a way more interesting conversation than what I just went through. <laughs> what was, I mean, t- we're going to hear some of these conversations I know in upcoming uh, episodes of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, but what was it like, t- kind of give us, paint a picture for what uh, it, it's like in terms of North Africa right now. Well, you know, it was very interesting. It was my first time to be in the place where we were, uh, but we got to talk to Christians from several different countries. So we got to talk to people who are serving the Lord in Morocco and Algeria and Tunisia and Libya and Egypt. So we got a really broad overview of that part of the world. Here's, Here's kind of the bottom line, and the thing that kind of surprised me, most of the persecution of our Christian brothers and sisters is not from the government. It is not from the police. It is from their own families. Mm. And 
the families are driving the persecution. They see it as, hey, we're a Muslim family. If you're not a Muslim anymore, you're not really part of our family. You have to right. go. In some cases, they see it as we have to do whatever we can to get you to come back to Islam. Um, but it is the family that is driving the persecution. And sometimes the police will get involved, but usually that is at the behest of the new Christian's family. They say, hey, you know, we've tried to get our son back on the straight and narrow, but we haven't succeeded. Let's call the police. Let's call in reinforcements. That's when police can get involved in persecuting our brothers and sisters. Let me give you an example. We, we talked to a pastor. In fact, it is this week's episode of VM Radio. We have this conversation. But he said there is a young woman in his congregation, a college-age young woman. She met Jesus. She left Islam. She went home, and, and she was excited. She wanted to tell everyone, man, I've met Jesus. You need to meet him, too. Her own mother told her, and again, I want to emphasize, her own mother said, I would rather you had told me you were a prostitute than that you're a Christian. Oh, it it oh would gosh. bring less shame on our family for you to be a prostitute than for you to be a Christian. Uh, and, you know, you think about trying to bounce back from that. Like, like how mm -hmm. hard is it to hear your own mother say that to you? Uh, but that's just one example of how families drive the persecution of our brothers and sisters in North Africa. It's amazing to hear these stories from Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs Radio, of course, every Sunday morning. I should say Sunday evening, too, 8.30 a.m. and p.m. here on K-Bright Radio. Um, getting back from North Africa and hearing a story like that, I I'm really glad you framed that for us, Todd, because oftentimes we do wind up looking in this, it's the government, you know, or it's a military operation. We hear about uh, there one of our uh, regular uh, uh, ministry partners here, Wilson Financial Services, makes trips a couple times a year to uh, Western Africa, and uh, you know, what they come back and say is, you know, it's Islamist. It's, you know, these type of people who are attacking churches and Christian schools and things of that nature. But to find out that it's happening in their homes, and I would imagine the odds are really small in favor of the believers at this point. Talk about, you know, you mentioned uh, that it's happening in homes, but uh, is it one or two, five percent? And do you have any gauge as to how many people are coming out of Islam into Christianity and running into this kind of uh, potential martyrdom? It is a lot. Uh, I, I don't have a number, and I think it would be hard. Some of them are not being reached sort of face-to-face. -face. Uh, they're being reached through maybe a website. They're being reached maybe through a satellite television program. We met one young man who found Jesus on Google, <laughs> and which is wow. uh, a, a pretty amazing way to, to come to Christ. But he said it was during Ramadan— uh, he was fasting all day, as, as Muslims do. He was hungry. Uh, he wasn't very happy about having to fast for a whole month. And uh, he went on to Google, and he Googled what other religions fast. And the write-up he came to said, well, Christians fast as well as Muslims, but Christians do it out of love for God. They do it to kind of draw closer to God, to see God move in a certain situation. Uh, it, it's their choice. And he thought, well, that's uh, I like that better than Islam. The Christians get to choose whether they want to fast or not. In Islam, we have to fast. He had a an atheist friend, somebody who had left Islam and become an atheist, who he started to ask questions. You know, hey, do you know what the Christians teach? You know, and, and his atheist friend said, well, I don't know, but I have some Christian friends, and, and I'll introduce you to them. Those Christian friends ultimately led this young man to follow Jesus Christ. Um, he's another who was was faced family persecution, 
uh, his he had to flee from his family. He's actually had to flee from his homeland. Now he's he's really a man without a country. Uh, but his own mother told him on the phone after he had fled. She said, "We are going to find you, and when we do, we're going to kill you." Um, mm. So that was his own mother saying that. Uh, but yeah, he he found Jesus through Google. Incredible. And well, and not only that, but then when these stories are, come to life, and of course our friends at Voice of the Martyrs Radio do such a great job of telling these stories and sharing these stories, the reality is, I mean, that's how the faith is best presented, person to person. You know, uh, we, each one win one, as my pastor friend of mine used to say. And when you think about the Great Commission and Jesus telling the 11 at that time, plus the, those who were part of the entourage, go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is, in essence, what you've been doing, and this is VOMs been doing this for how many decades now, Todd? It's been a long time. 1967 is when Voice wow. of the Martyrs was founded, and uh, yeah, today we are working in more than 70 countries around the world, coming coming alongside people just like that young man. Uh, mm -hmm. One of the ways we are helping him is with his living expenses right now, because as I said, he had to flee from his family, he had to flee from his country, uh, he needs a place to stay. And so VOM is helping with that need, and, and actually in North Africa, we are partnering with local churches, we're partnering with other Christians to have some safe houses for people who have to flee their families, have to flee that persecution. One of the pastors we talked to said, you know, when someone comes to faith, I encourage them to stay with their family if if they can, if the family will let them. And, and it's right. I, I asked the pastor, I'm like, wait a minute, it's the families that are doing all this persecution, and you're telling people to stay put. Why? He said, well, number one, in our culture, all of your opportunities are built out of those family connections. So your mm -hmm. educational opportunities, your job opportunities, your opportunity to find a spouse, all of that comes out of those family connections. So if you leave your household, you're cut off from all those opportunities. And But the other thing he said, and I think the more important thing, he said, if that Christian will stay in their home, and if they'll stick it out, even though there's pressure, even though there's there's sometimes really outright persecution, if they will stick it out within a year, we usually see at least one other member of that family come to Christ wow. because they see the difference that he's made. They see how their brother, their sister is changed by following Jesus Christ. And so he said within a year, somebody else in that family is probably going to come to Christ as well. Incredible to think that that, I mean, with that kind of persecution and the potential for martyrdom, I'm still trying, my mom's the nicest person in the history of the world. She had a huge impact on my faith. I can't imagine my mother ever, even if I had turned away from the Christian faith saying, I will kill you, you know, because of what you've done religiously. And yet to put that in perspective as to what these people are dealing with and how Voice of the Martyrs is stepping up, Todd Nettleton, I'm so grateful that you're sharing these stories with us. I'm sorry that you had to experience them, but I'm glad you did, you know, at the same time, because uh, it, it gives us a better frame of reference for what our faith is like. Todd Nettleton is with me today here on The Bottom Line. He is the voice of Voice of the Martyrs Radio. It is heard every Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. and then Sunday evening, 8.30 p.m. here on Kbright AM 740 in Southern California and AM 12.40 in San Diego. Hey, let's take a quick break and when we come back there are a couple other countries that i know are top of mind for todd and the team at voice of the martyrs and i also want to share with you an information uh well i'll give you the information right now about the global prayer guide that uh, voice of the martyrs puts out well, todd and i are going to get into this a little bit more on the other side of this break but we do have unlimited copies of this to give away it's absolutely free just call us here at the bottom line show and we'll get you hooked up 800-227-5278 
800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of my conversation with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Todd Nettleton is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Always good to talk to Todd. He is the voice of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, which is heard every Sunday morning at 8.30 and Sunday evening at 8.30 as well. Here on K-Bright, AM 740 in Southern California, AM 1240 in San Diego, also FM 103.3 in National City, and 100.7 FM in Corona. Uh, Todd just got back from North Africa and has been sharing some incredible stories about the people who are coming to faith through Voice of the Martyrs that they're encountering with Voice of the Martyrs, or in one case, one guy who Googled to find out, you know, what it was about Christianity that was better for him than Islam in terms of fasting and prayer and things of that nature. Todd, it, it must be a really life-changing experience when you get a chance to go. I've never been to North Africa. What has what your international travel been like, and how did this trip to North Africa impact you differently? You know, it is really an amazing thing to be able to sit down with brothers and sisters and uh, have these conversations. I, I feel the the holy privilege, like uh, sitting down with Paul and Silas after they got out of the Philippian jail and being able to ask them questions, like, "Hey, yeah. you know, who who was it that decided you would sing in the middle of the night when you're in prison, and and what song were you singing when the earthquake started?" And um, that it, it feels like that to me to be able to sit down with uh, brothers and sisters who have suffered greatly and. One of the things that is, is sort of counterintuitive, and, and I think most of our listeners, if you picture someone who's just come out of jail or you picture someone who's been kicked out of their family or they've been beaten up, I, I think the picture we have in our mind is somebody who's really depressed and really discouraged, and man, he has just really been through it. The reality when you go and sit down with them is there is so much joy in their lives and in their faces, and even even as they tell hard stories... Uh, there are moments of joy. One, one of the brothers that we met in North Africa is a young husband and father. He was kidnapped by terrorists, and they put a black hood over his head. Uh, they started to beat him and tell him, hey, you, you have to stop being a Christian. You have to come back to Islam. You have to stop working in your church. You have to stop these things. And he said, you know, he figured they were going to kill him. And he said, I, you know, I wasn't so worried about myself because I'm about to go to heaven. But he was really concerned about his wife and his young children, and, and he was mm. praying, Lord, who's, who's going to take care of my family after these guys kill me? And miraculously, they let him go. After three hours of this beating and pressuring, they let him go. He went to the police, as, as you and I would do, and said, hey, I just got kidnapped and beaten. 
instead of asking questions about the terrorists, the police began to ask him questions about his Christian work and about why he came to faith and why he left Islam. And the police made it so difficult that he has literally had to flee from his country. And he also is now outside of his country, really a man without a country. And so he's telling us this really difficult story, and, and there's clearly some, some trauma. He, at some points in the story, he kind of slowed down, and you could tell he's kind of reliving some of these things. But then at the end of the story, he said, you know, I think all Christians need to pass through this kind of situation, this kind of persecution. It will give them more faith and more strength. Interesting. And I'm sitting there as a Christian, I'm like, I don't think all Christians need to pass through that because I don't want to pass through it. I don't want to have a black hood put over my head. Um, No, no, no. But what he said is, you know, before this happened, I knew a lot about God. Now I really know God. I really have experienced his presence in in the den of the wolf. I have experienced it in the valley of the shadow of death. Now I really know God. That's the kind of thing that, that you come home encouraged, even as you hear really, really hard stories. You know, we both have similar vocations in the fact that we host radio programs. We're talking about the faith journey. We're talking about different uh, opportunities that people have to uh, come along and support uh, different organizations. In your case, we've got a link for the Global Prayer Guide uh, from Voice of the Martyrs up at thebottomlineshow.com to give people a little more uh, ammunition, if you will, uh, for praying. And yet at the same time, when you hear something about like what this young man had been through persecution-wise, and he had some very real legitimate concerns, you know, how am I going to provide for my family? But that just that phrase, it just it, it keeps resonating in my in my heart, in my ear, in my mind. Of I went from knowing a lot about God to really knowing God. Uh, that's I think you're not trying to sensationalize the story here. That really is the essence of you know Christ came to know and be known. He knows all about us, and we should be knowing Him in a personal way. And you've you've been with Voice of the Martyrs for a long time, Todd. Talk about how that uh, stories like this continue to impact you. I could tell it still got to you, even though that's, I'm sure that's not the first time you've heard someone share that testimony. It, it still gets to me, and I sometimes think if it stops getting to me, I'm going to have to go find a different job. But mm, because it mm-hmm. is, it is a heart condition. Like like we're connected to these brothers and sisters; they're part of our family. Uh, and so when the Bible talks about weep with those who weep, sometimes that's what we do at Voice of the Mars is, is literally we weep with those who are telling a story that, that brings tears to their eyes because it was so hard and so difficult and so tough. And yet there is something about those situations where God steps in and, and gives courage and gives encouragement and even gives joy in the midst of those really hard situations. And I don't I don't think we get to have the fruit of those experiences without the pain of the experience. Like we don't we don't just develop that without going through really difficult circumstances and really hard times. And I frankly I think it's one of the lessons that our persecuted brothers and sisters have to teach us is uh, is about finding God in the midst of difficulties and in the midst of suffering. Hmm. Wow. Uh, Todd Nettleton, the host of the Voice of the Martyrs radio program that's heard every Sunday morning at 8.30 here on 
Kay Bright, the uh, Bottom Line Show affiliate here in Southern California, uh, just got back from North Africa, is sharing um, some, uh, some really powerful stories with us here today on the program. I know there are some things that are happening in other countries, too, that people are paying more attention to because of what's happening with the war in, uh, in Israel and the fact that Iran is kind of backing uh, the play there of Hamas. Also, you know, China is always looming uh, just on the horizon. You mentioned something during to me during the break, Todd, that I wanted you to uh, to expand upon, if you will. A lot of people think they have knowledge of, you know, persecution of Christians in China. Let's stop the spread of Christianity in China, et cetera, et cetera. But you made the comment about how things are a lot different now than they were even maybe a decade ago. Can you expand upon that, if you would? I would be happy to. So what we have now is persecution in China is driven at the national government level. Xi Jinping, the president of China, uh, 10 years ago, we would say, you know, in this province, there's a lot of persecution, but over here, the church is operating without a lot of interference. Today, that is not true. It is nationalized, and part of the, part of the problem is Xi Jinping. When he was a provincial leader, his province was one of those that was known for persecuting Christians, so that they would say for controlling religion in that province. I believe that he sees that as a part of his recipe for success. How did I get promoted to lead the whole country? Well, I did a good job with this province, and part of doing a good job was persecuting the church, controlling religion in that province. So he has brought that philosophy with him to Beijing. It is now driven down into the provinces from the national government. They literally are sending out trainers from Beijing to go to local police forces around the country and say, hey, this is how you control religion. This is how you respond to these unregistered illegal religious gatherings. And Christians around the country are telling us, hey, when we see those trainers arrive from Beijing, we know things are going to get worse for us. We know it's about to get tougher. Uh, so that's the, the difference in China now versus what it was 10 or 12 or 15 years ago. You know, I think about the, the, that part of the country, that part of the world, rather, and how it's gotten so much more intense. And now the fact that it's just it's, it's everywhere. It's not uh, something that we whisper about, you know, in, uh, uh, you know, in, in, in polite company here in the States. What are some good ways for us, Todd uh, Nettleton, to support? like Voice of the Martyrs and really do more of a uh, do a better job than just doing what I'm doing here, which is reacting. I mean, you're sharing some things with me that are shocking, that are also encouraging at the same time. What are some ways that we can kind of put feet to our faith? Here's what I encourage people to do. When, when you hear about persecuted Christians, uh, number one, I want you to commit to pray for them. And we've talked about the Global Prayer Guide. We will send you a free Global Prayer Guide to help you pray, to help you know how to pray. So number one is pray, and, and that's not just me saying that. That's the first thing that persecuted Christians ask us to do. Number two, then, is to educate yourself so that you can pray more effectively. I think it's easy to say, God bless persecuted Christians, but it's also easy not to say that. It's not very personal. It's not very direct. It's not specific at all. So as you educate yourself, and again, we have the Global Prayer Guide, we have VOM Radio. Uh, the last question I ask almost all of our guests is, okay, how can we pray? How can we pray for your nation? How can we pray for what God is doing there? We also have an app for your phone that has a new prayer request every day from persecuted Christians around the world. So number one, pray, 
commit yourself to pray. Number two, educate yourself so that you can pray more effectively. And then number three, I always say is whatever God lays on your heart to do. And and God may have you writing letters to Christians who are in prison. God may have you sponsoring Bibles to be delivered into hostile and restricted nations. God may put you on an airplane to go to one of these places. (laughs) But it starts as we pray and as we learn more, then God kind of puts his thumb on something and says, okay, now this is the next step for you. And then we just have to choose to obey. Great words of wisdom from Todd Nettleton, the host of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, which is heard every Sunday morning at 8.30 a.m. and Sunday evening at 8.30 p.m. here in Southern California on KBRITE AM 740 and also KBRITE AM 1240 in San Diego. We've got that link for their website up at thebottomlineshow.com where you can get that free global prayer guide, and we encourage you to check that out. It's massive. I mean, it's very comprehensive. This is not just a pamphlet we're talking about. It's about 100 pages or so, but it's well worth the investment of your time and your prayers. Todd Nettleton, always a pleasure to catch up with you. Um, Understanding that the circumstances aren't always great to hear about the hardships Christians are going through, but we're grateful for the good reports and how it's strengthening their faith, which then strengthens ours as well. Thank you, and God bless you from all of us here at The Bottom Line Show. Appreciate the time on the show today. Well, you are very welcome. Thanks for having me. Always great to catch up with Todd Nettleton, the voice of Voice of the Martyrs radio broadcast. You can hear it every Sunday morning, 8.30 a.m., and then a rebroadcast at 8.30 p.m. here in Southern California on our flagship Bottom Line Show affiliate, KBRT. And we've got a link for vom.com up at thebottomline.com. They've also got a website, I believe it's persecution.org. Uh, that will link up as well. It's interesting to track what Todd was saying, especially with regard to um, the the number of people who are being martyred for their faith. And the fact that he mentioned Northern Africa, and I'm so glad that he did, there's a tendency for us in the culture, and I'm guilty as charged just like anybody else is, to look at one area and say, that's where the problem is, full stop. But to get a more comprehensive view of that, I highly recommend you check out the Voice of the Martyrs radio program Sunday mornings at 8.30 right here on KBRITE AM 740. More on this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Freeborn is the ministry we've been talking about all year long that provides free ultrasounds for women who are expecting. But one of the best things about the preborn ultrasound experience for a woman is oftentimes there are women who come to preborn, they see the ultrasound, and all of a sudden they begin to realize, wow, this is a baby, not a cluster of cells. And what are my options? They find out that option number one, of course, is congratulations, you're a mother. Here in the People's Republic of California, they can also legally abort the child. But the third option is the one that you don't hear about at the abortion clinics, and that's releasing the child for adoption. Your $28 donation to preborn right now will provide one ultrasound visit. A $15,000 donation will provide one ultrasound machine. And thanks to a special year-end gift here, a matching gift by a friend of the Ministry of Preborn, your gift today is doubled. Go online to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com, click on the preborn banner, and then make your best tax-deductible donation to preborn. $28 saves one baby's life, $140 saves five, $280 saves 10, and $15,000 provides an ultrasound machine that could do 250 ultrasounds per year for at least 10 years. And every gift you make today will be doubled thanks to a special matching gift at preborn. Learn more when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the preborn banner today. My thanks again to Todd Nettleton. He is the voice of the Voice of the Martyrs radio broadcast, which you hear every Sunday morning at 8.30 here on our local affiliate, our flagship affiliate for the Bottom Line Show. That's AM 740 KBRT. 
Uh, we've got vom.com up at the bottom line show.com. If you want to hear more about the fantastic things that God is doing in Africa, in Asia, and Voice of the Martyrs is there. I want to take the final moments of our time together to come before the Lord in prayer. There are brothers and sisters in Christ who are preaching the gospel, literally going into all the world, putting up with way more stress, way more pressure, way more political opposition than we'll ever face, at least not in the next couple of years here in the U.S. And Father, I pray that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters who are preaching the gospel and sending it where it needs to go and help us to be mindful of how we can support them financially and with prayer cover. Father, I also lift up those new believers, those new brothers and sisters who are hearing this good news and they're coming out of Islam, they're coming out of Hinduism, they're coming out of this pantheistic world where they've got all these different gods screaming at them and, and the, the evil that is trying to keep them from approaching the throne of grace and receiving the gift of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, will you please provide that cover for them? Help them to see the the benefits. Help them to see in the middle of all this, I think of Stephen uh, being stoned to death for his faith, literally being martyred in Acts chapter 7 and looking to heaven. And instead of looking at the rocks that are coming his way, the people are throwing things at him and trying to kill him and will physically end his life. Spiritually, he's looking to you and he's saying, you know, Lord, how did I do? This uh, may what's happening here be pleasing to you and bring glory to you. Father, for our brothers and sisters who need that prayer and need that cover, but I also pray, Father, for those who are in the body of Christ right now, who are attending church, who are saying all the right things and preaching that gospel, and yet their hearts are compromised. Their hearts have been stained again with sin. Makes it look like the cup is clean, but inside the cup is corrupted. Bring to repentance those who are in the body of Christ right now, who are preaching that good news, but their hearts aren't right. Their minds aren't right. They're not being transformed by the renewing of those minds. And I pray, Father, that uh, as you see, as you show us these martyrs, these people who are willing to lay down everything for their faith and reminding us how temporary this life is, it's rich with meaning and purpose, but also it's but a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. Help us to hold onto eternity and to temper that with the temporal that you've placed us in for such a time as this. We ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. That is the good news, and that's the bottom line.